Good morning. Welcome to St. Paul this morning for all of you here in person, for all of you joining us at home too. Uh, may God bless our worship here today. Uh, this is the last Sunday before we start getting ready for Christmas. So next week is Advent. You'll see everything changed blue. We'll have the Advent wreath up here, and the countdown will start four weeks until Christmas. But today, the week before, is always called Christ the King Sunday. Because in November, there are Sundays that look ahead toward the big picture in the end. So we had one about how there's Judgment Day coming, and we're ready through our faith in Jesus. Last week was about what heaven is. Today, it's that Jesus is our king who rules everything. And what a good message when it seems like things are out of control, when everything, who, who is it that's, that's ruling everything? It's our savior, Jesus. And today, especially this is the theme, that a good king is one who unifies his people. So let's begin today with the opening hymn, Crown Him With Many Crowns.
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. We have come into the presence of God, who created us to love and serve him as his dear children. But we have disobeyed him and deserved only his wrath and punishment. Therefore, let us confess our sins to him and plead for his mercy. Merciful Father in heaven, I am altogether sinful from birth. In countless ways I have sinned against you and do not deserve to be called your child. But trusting in Jesus, my Savior, I pray, have mercy on me according to your unfailing love. Cleanse me from my sin and take away my guilt. God, our Heavenly Father, has forgiven all your sins. By the perfect life and innocent death of our Lord Jesus Christ, he has removed your guilt forever. You are his own dear child. May God give you strength to live according to his will. Amen. In the peace of forgiveness, let us praise the Lord. Jesus Christ, by your victory you have broken the power of the evil one. Fill our hearts with joy and peace as we look with hope to that day when every creature in heaven and earth will acclaim you King of kings and Lord of lords to your unending praise and glory. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. may be seated. That theme of unity is seen in our first lesson, Ezekiel 37. That's what our King of Kings and Lord of Lords came to do. We don't often see that in, in our world today. And when you look back through history, the best leaders brought unity, right? The worst leaders served themselves. And we have witness, eyewitness accounts of what the Lord is to be and how he became the very thing foretold. This will serve as the basis for the message today. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take a stick of wood and write on it. Belonging to Judah and the Israelites associated with him. Then take another stick of wood and write on it. Belonging to Joseph, that is to Ephraim, and all the Israelites associated with him. Join them together into one stick so they will become one in your hand. When your people ask you, won't you tell us what you mean by this? Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am going to take the stick of Joseph, which is in Ephraim's hand, and the Israelite tribes associated with him and join it to Judah's stick. I will make them into a single stick of wood and they will become one in my hand. Hold before their eyes the sticks you have written on and say to them, 
This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone. I will gather them from all around and bring them back into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them, and they will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols and vile images or with any other of their offenses, for I will save them from all their sinful backsliding, and I will cleanse them. They will be my people, and I will be their God. My servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors live. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever, and David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. This is the word of our God. We join together in the psalm for today. It's a psalm that is, talks about unity and peace. And the way we'll move forward into this is the refrain will be sung, and then each verse will be cantered, and then the congregation joins in singing the refrain after each verse. and how pleasant to live in unity and peace. How good it is and how pleasant to live together in one Lord. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Agree in everything you say. May there be no divisions among you, but be united in one mind. For there is one Lord, one faith, one God of us all. How good it is and how pleasant to live in unity and peace. How good it is and how pleasant to live together in one Lord. Live a life that is worthy of your call. Be humble, gentle, and patient. Bear with each other in ways that are loving. Preserve the unity of faith. For there is one Lord, one faith, one God of us all. How good it is 
present how pleasant to live in unity and peace. How good it is and how pleasant to live together in one Share the love that has joined us as one, unite in spirit and ideas. Never be rivals, do not be conceited, but look to others in their need. For there is one Lord, one faith, one God of us all. How good it is and how pleasant to live in unity and peace. How good it is and how pleasant to live together in one We all have one common enemy that we face that we cannot destroy, and that is, that is death. It's deserved. And yet we have the king who comes and conquers death and unites us and gives us such victory. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn. Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. This is the word of our God. Please stand in reverence to the words concerning our Lord. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27. The world rejected Jesus because they did not recognize him as king, but he came to be the kind of king that God had foretold he would be. He came not only to unite us, to be a, but also to be a sacrifice for us. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and they knelt in front of him and mocked him. 
Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated as we join in the sermon hymn. Grace and mercy and peace to you this morning from God our Father and from Jesus our Savior too. One of the effects of sin in this world is that it fractures relationships and it divides people. You probably know that and maybe even have experienced it yourself. It can fracture families. Sin can divide churches. Sin and the consequences of it can divide societies and nations in in the whole world. And so, one of our deepest longings as human beings is for there to be unity, to, to stop all those divisions, to bring people back together. And in a way, then, you could say the whole history of the world has been a quest for for unity, especially if you look at it politically. And thank God, sometimes there's a certain degree of success. 
And yet, as human beings, we've found that any unity we can achieve is always partial and it's always temporary. And I don't know what you think of first when I, when I talk about unity. I, my mind has gone to our nation this last month and even before this last month. Uh, we have as our ideal, on, stamped on our great motto of the United States, on the back of every dollar bill it says, E pluribus unum, Latin for out of many, one. That out of the 50 states, out of all these different cultures and nationalities that have come to our, come to our country, that we would be this melting pot that out of many diverse people there would be one, one nation. That is the ideal of the United States. And yet you know how horrible the Civil War was and you probably sense that every generation of Americans has continued to wrestle with, with unity. It's not just us. You look around the world, the European Union, that's not always much of a union. Uh, NATO, uh, a military alliance, that's not always so united either. In fact, from what I know, I, I don't know of any organization across history around the world that has ever achieved perfect, perfect unity. And so we, we long for this. We, we hope that there will be the, the one style of government that will unite everyone. We hope that there will be the leader or leaders who can accomplish that. We long for unity. If there were any nation in the whole history of the world that you would think would have gotten that or gotten as close as possible, you would have expected it to be the Old Testament people of Israel. They all were from the same family, from the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They all had the same, they lived in that, in that same land, and God had chosen them and his people. They all had the same God. So you'd think... If there ever was a nation in the history of the world that ought to have had unity, it should have been the Old Testament Israelites, right? But if, if you know the, the history of the Old Testament, you know that's not the case. The, the reading from God's Word in front of us today is from Ezekiel chapter 37. But before I go there, let me give you an overview of the history to get to where Ezekiel was. So if you're not there already, turn back to page 6. And I've got some slides again with some maps to give you here was the situation in Ezekiel's day with unity and the people of God. So let me go back to, at the time of Moses, God led the people out of Egypt, gave him his laws. Joshua brought the people into the promised land. Here's a map of what it looked like when the land was divided up among the 12 tribes. So a patchwork of 12 different tribes, the sons of Jacob, but that, there should have still been a unity of all those tribes working together. But the period after this, called the time of the Judges, if you know about that, it was anything but united. In fact, the motto of the book of Judges is, in those days Israel had no king, everybody did as they saw fit. <laughs> uh, everybody just doing whatever they felt like doing, there was almost a total lack of, of unity. If you'd read the last chapters of Judges, you'll just be appalled at the kind of things that were going on in this time period. So the, the people said, we know what the problem is. The problem is we don't have a king. So they went to the prophet Samuel and to the Lord and said, please give us a king. That will solve all our problems. And God's answer was, no, it won't. Having a king isn't going to get to the root of the issue. And in fact, sometimes a king can be worse than having no kings. But because you've asked, I'll give you a king. So the next map is... The, the purple is the first king, King Saul. 
He was able to consolidate the heartland of the land of Israel. That's the purple area there. But he was not a good king. He, he left God behind. So God changed it. So rather than being Saul's family, God picked a man named David to be the king. David's territory is the green, and the yellow at the top is not occupied by Israelites, but under Israelite control. So probably you could say the last half of David's reign, about 20 years, it looked like that. He handed that off to his son Solomon. And if you say there was a golden period of unity and everything going well for the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, it would have been those years. Solomon reigned for 40 years, and there was relative unity in that in that whole area. And the people must have been saying, well, this is great. This is exactly what we wanted. We have a king and we're all united. But that didn't last long at all. Right after Solomon died, his son, uh, there, there was a civil war when his son was the king and the, the red part in the south, that stayed with the tribe of Judah, capital city of Jerusalem. But most of the tribes split off into a different country, so that's the orange part to the north of them, called the nation of Israel. Uh, and so, not only is it geographical, you've got the south and the north with two different capital cities, you've got two different kings ruling, they actually fought civil wars against each other. The worst part was this. The kings in the north said, we don't want the people to have to go back to Jerusalem to worship because that would undermine our rule in the north. So they set up alternate places to worship with idols. And you can see they did it on purpose at the borders so that no one would ever have to leave the country to go worship anywhere else. So now not only do you have geographical division and political division, there was a spiritual division with people worshiping different gods, and that lasted for the next 200 years. And if you'd say, well, that sounds pretty bad, maybe that was the low point, it actually got worse. So about 200 years after that, the northern kingdom was conquered by Assyria, and Assyria's policy was to resettle people far away from home to try to break their power. So the people from that northern kingdom were taken and resettled where those green blobs are. Today, it'd be in Syria and Iraq and Iran, which I suppose, looking the whole world isn't that far away, but for them, that was so far away, they were never, ever going to come home. The Assyrians took people from Babylon, that orange blob, and resettled them in the same land. So by the time of Jesus, this is why the Jews and Samaritans didn't get along, because racially, the people in the northern kingdom were mixed. It wasn't just Israelites who were living there. And then, 100 years later, the Babylonians came in and conquered that southern kingdom. Daniel was taken captive in the first wave. Ten years later, Ezekiel was taken captive, and that red line would show where they ended up going and settling. They went into exile in Babylon. And if you compare the maps, both of them went into exile, but it was in entirely different locations, so it's not like they ever came back together when they were in exile. So that brings us to the time of of Ezekiel. So he's in captivity in Babylon, and the people were saying, well, at least Jerusalem's still standing, at least the temple's there, there's some hope that we're going to be united again. But then 10 years later, the Babylonians came in and destroyed Jerusalem and burned the temple down. Most of the people came to Babylon, or the prophet Jeremiah and others actually went down to Egypt. And so now, we're in Ezekiel chapter 37, and of 
how, how could it be any more fractured, any more divided, this one people of God in the Old Testament? And a lot of the people thought, well, all the promises are dead. How can anything good happen, uh, especially now that Jerusalem is, is destroyed and we are all now in exile? And so now, if you look at the words of Ezekiel, his promise is, God, through a king who is coming, is going to bring unity and peace. But he didn't start out by saying that. Ezekiel's trademark was to speak God's word without saying any words at all. He would act out the prophecies. Sometimes it was so obvious it didn't need explanation. Like, there was one time he built a model of the city of Jerusalem, and then he set siege to his model. And you can tell what what that prophecy was. Another time he chopped off all his hair and then he took a sword and started chopping up some of it and he threw some in the fire and he threw some in the wind so it blew away and he stuck some in his belt. Uh, That was the kind that needed a little explanation. God said that was saying some of the people were going to die when the Babylonians came. Some were going to be burned when Jerusalem burned. Some were going to be scattered to who knows where like the hair in the wind but God would take some of his people and tuck them in his belt and keep them Keep them safe. But in the prophecy we heard, it went like this. So Ezekiel took one stick and he wrote on it the name Judah. So if I go back to this map, that's the the red area in the south. That southern kingdom is Judah. So Ezekiel writes Judah on one stick. Then he takes another stick and writes on it Ephraim or Israel. So Ephraim was the main tribe in in the orange area to the north. So Ezekiel writes the names on the sticks and then he brings the sticks together and unites them in his, in his hand. And God says, Ezekiel, the people are going to ask you, what does that mean? And here's what you tell them. That hand is the hand of God and God's promise is he will take that divided nation and he'll bring it together as one in his hand. And then the verses that follow go into more detail about what God promises he'll do. So look at verse 21. Here's what God promised. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone. I will gather them from all around and bring them back into their own land. If I put a label on that, I'd call that geographical unity. People who are scattered are going to be brought together in the same place. Next verse. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them and they will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. Never again two rival kings, two rival capitals, two rival countries, no. God says there will be what I would label political unity among his people. Next verse. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols and vile images or with any of their offenses, for I will save them from all their sinful backsliding and I will cleanse them. They will be my people and I will be their God. Spiritual unity, which... Of the three, that one is is the most important. And it shows that the real heart of the issue was not that people were divided from each other. The worst thing that had happened is that the people had become divided from, from God. 
that by their sin, and you think especially setting up those idols, the people had wandered away from God and sinned against him, so the thing that he needed to be healed most was actually God and his, his people. And God's promise is that will happen too. God says, I will step in and save my people. I will cleanse them and take away all their sins, so this will be restored between me and them. And then the people are going to worship together. No longer are you going to have people who are worshiping different gods. God's people will be spiritually united too. And when will this happen? The very next verse promises this. My servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd. David had been dead for about 400 years, and the promise wasn't that David was going to come back to life. It was that someone from David's family was going to step in and be the king. And when this David came, not only would there be geographical and political and spiritual unity, the next verses take it further than probably the people were even dreaming. Here's what the next verses say. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever and David, my servant, will be their prince forever. David and Solomon had maybe 60 years combined, that golden period. God promises through Ezekiel, when David comes, it's going to last forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them Forever. Again, focusing even more on the spiritual side, when David comes, then there will be peace and a covenant that lasts between God and his people forever. And then the last verses, my dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. What a promise. And now if you start thinking ahead, how and when was that fulfilled? There was a partial fulfillment about 70 years after the people went into exile in Babylon. God moved Cyrus the Great and the Persians to send the people back and actually rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. So I say partial fulfillment because Was part of this true that people came back and and lived in that land again? Yeah. But it wasn't a perfect fulfillment of everything that God had promised there. Did all the people come back home? No, many of the people were still scattered. Did they have perfect political freedom there when they came back to Judah? Again, no, they were... uh, a a territory, a a vassal state underneath the Persian Empire and the Greek empires that followed. Uh, Did they forever and ever have have peace and safety? Uh, No, they didn't. And so, the, the people knew that this prophecy in Ezekiel, like and others like it, were pointing ahead to someone called the Messiah who was going to come and fulfill it perfectly. 
Next week, we're going to start going toward Christmas, and we'll have some of those prophecies again. The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. The Messiah would be from a virgin. All those classic Christmas prophecies, this one from Ezekiel, you could probably put on the list even though the kids never say it on Christmas Eve. God promised that this Messiah would reign forever. And then he came, and you know his name. His name is is Jesus. He was from the family of David. Just like the prophecies had said, that's why he was born in Bethlehem. But beyond that, a lot of what the people were expecting wasn't the kind of king that Jesus was. So in the reading from Matthew today, when Jesus was about to die for us, they mocked him, Hail, King of the Jews, because he didn't look like a king even though he, he was. That same day, Jesus was talking with Pontius Pilate Pilate asked him, are you a king? Jesus' answer was, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus is very much a king. He is is the king promised by the Old Testament, but his kingdom is different than anything else we've ever seen in the history of the world. Here's one example. Again, a map of the eastern Mediterranean, this time looking west toward Greece and Rome as well. This is at the time of Jesus where the Jewish people were scattered. So all the brown spots were communities of Jewish people in that first century. It's called the diaspora, uh, the scattering of, of the Jewish people. Now, a lot of people thought that when the Messiah comes, that'll mean all those people are gonna have to come back to Palestine and live by Jerusalem. Jesus said to his disciples, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. That's at the end of Matthew. You see, rather than having everybody come to one location, Jesus' kingdom was going to grow to be bigger than just the land of, of Israel. So you see this in the book of Acts, that Paul and the apostles went first to all these areas where Jewish people had been scattered, and they proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah. And they didn't stop there, the message of the gospel has gone around the world and across cultures in a way that no other religion has. So if you'd say, where is Jesus' kingdom? It is everywhere, the whole world, not just one area. And you could go through the the, the characteristics of a kingdom and say Jesus is even better, right? A lot of kingdoms last for maybe a couple hundred years at the most, Jesus' kingdom has lasted 2,000 years already and is going to keep going forever. A lot of kingdoms depend on outward laws and regulations. Jesus says that his kingdom is a matter of, of people's hearts. Jesus' kingdom is able to go beyond the things that rulers in this world can do. So the reading from 1 Corinthians today said, Jesus is actually able to take on death itself and sin and hell along with that and conquer them for us so that Jesus, our Savior, is the same one who forgives us and promises that his kingdom will last forever as we join him in glory in heaven. And so Christ the King Sunday is a day to think of the promises of God saying, I will fulfill that thing you are longing for. You're longing for unity and peace. I'll fulfill that in the Messiah, my son Jesus, your Savior. 
So now if I fast forward again to our time, I hope that you're already drawing some applications that you can take home today for yourself. Uh, but let me give you, give you this one. As you look at our world and even at the Christian church, there are an awful lot of divisions and that makes my heart break a lot because of, because of it. Whether it's our country, whether it's the fact that the Christian church, because of a lot of false teachings, is divided into all kinds of different denominations, there are a lot of fractures and divisions today. But not just in the world, not just in the Christian church as a whole, within our congregation too, there are a lot of things that could divide us. Some things are pretty insignificant. Maybe you like pepperoni pizza and somebody else likes sausage pizza. Uh, There are a lot of preferences that we probably don't see eye to eye on. Um, But there are others that are more significant. Some of you make a lot more money than others, and that puts you probably in a different social class. Some of you are men, some of you are women, some of you are old, some of you are young. Most of us have a similar racial background, but not everyone, and you know this year has shown again how racial differences can divide people even within the church as well. Two of the biggest ones lately, I was reading in the Lake Mills Leader a week ago, they had the voting results for Lake Mills on the front page. It always amazes me how it's almost an even divide between Republicans and Democrats. Uh, This year, for the presidential election, it leaned toward Democrats, so there are more people in Lake Mills who voted for Joe Biden than Donald Trump. Same thing for the town of Lake Mills. I think Johnson Creek was was opposite, and Jefferson County as a whole leaned toward toward Trump. As I look out at all of you, my assumption is because we are representing a lot of people from a lot of different areas of Lake Mills, we probably weren't united with how we voted. And another area is, I know that some of you are on one side of the mass debate, totally at odds with some other members of our church who are very much on the other extreme. Uh, Could there be things that divide us or cause us to be fractured within our church? Uh, of course there are. And the promise today is not that because we have Jesus, Christ the King, that all of those are somehow going to disappear, that, that Jesus is going to erase every division here in this world. Not yet. That's, that's coming someday in heaven. But the promise is this, that in our Savior Jesus, we have a unity together that's stronger than any of those differences and that I pray would unite all of us in our, in our faith. There is only one Savior, Jesus, that when he died on the cross, he died for you and the person next to you and for me and for the whole world. So we are united in coming before God as sinners and then finding in him forgiveness. There are not alternate heavens depending on what kind of pizza you like or what political party you belong to. There is only one heaven and through faith in Jesus, all of us are going to be together, united, united there. And it's not just that we wait till then. There is only one baptism. The Apostle Paul focuses on that in Ephesians. Again, Jesus' kingdom is not about time or about place. So even if you were baptized a different day than I was, in a whole different church than I was, there is only one baptism, and that is something that unites us. Our status is the same, our Savior is the same, and our mission is the same too. 
So no matter how you and I might go different paths in other areas of life, we have been united in the one focused mission of the Christian church to be part of extending Jesus' kingdom throughout the whole world. Here in Lake Mills, to the next generation, and as, as much as we can throughout, throughout the whole world, we're united in that too. And so my prayer for us today is that as you seek and long for unity, that you would find that in your Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's now rise and confess our faith in him. If you'd make a list of what is it that unites us here at St. Paul, one of the things is we confess the same creeds together. Today, let's join together in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Please be seated. Now is when we would be gathering the offering. Plates are in the back, you know you can give online as well. This is one of the ways where we're united. We all work together to support the ministry here. So thank you for continuing to do that. Let's continue now with the prayer of the church. We pray. You are worthy, O Christ, our King, to receive honor and glory and praise. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Alleluia, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. You are worthy, O Christ, our King, to receive honor and glory and praise because you were the slain, and with your blood you purchased us for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you have called us into your kingdom and have made us priests to serve you, our God and Father. Help us live as royal priests. We give thanks to you, O Christ, our Shepherd King, because you have searched for us and found us. Lead us to the green pastures and quiet waters of your saving love, so that we may enjoy peace and comfort for our souls. Heal our hearts when they are broken with sin and guilt. Strengthen us when we are weak. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Come with your mighty power to break and defeat every evil plan and purpose of the devil, of the ungodly influences and ideas of the world and of our own sinful nature. Use your power to calm the unrest among nations and peoples so that your kingdom may spread and grow. Strengthen our confidence in knowing that your kingdom will never be destroyed. 
Lord Jesus, we ask you to keep all of us in your care, and especially today, our fellow member, Doris Kulo. As her health declines, and it seems that you are getting ready to call her home to yourself, continue to be her king, her shepherd, and her savior. Assure her of your constant presence and love, and of your gracious forgiveness. And when it is your time, bring from your church militant on earth, bring her to your church triumphant in heaven. Now hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever, King of kings and Lord of lords. The Lord Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We now sing a hymn that just shares with us the absolute power of our King, Jesus Christ.
please stand for closing prayer and responsive blessing. O Lord God, our Heavenly Father, pour out the Holy Spirit on your faithful people. Keep us strong in your grace and truth. Protect and comfort us in all temptation and bestow on us your saving peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. with you today and the last Sunday of the church here, uh, whether you're here or at home, Christ is King. And I pray that that closing blessing, the peace that Christ gives is not just some superficial or every four years or promises made or brokered deals. This is a peace that's heart deep and it goes with you forever too. So that's the confidence we have no matter what we face when we go out there into the world. I do have just a couple announcements. This week is going to be Thanksgiving on Thursday, so we'll offer opportunities for worship at 6.30 on Wednesday evening, 9 a.m. on Thanksgiving morning, and both those services will be live-streamed too. Also, since this is the last Sunday of the church here, Advent begins the midweek services. Uh, so after Thanksgiving, we'll have Advent services at 3.30 and 6.30. There'll be no meal served in between those also, Christmas decoration next Saturday. If you'd like to come and help us put decorations in the new sanctuary, uh, there's an opportunity to gather here at 9 a.m. that morning, and we'll put uh, decorations up here to get ready uh, for Christmas. Also, there is Bible study uh, hour um, right in here after Sunday school will be happening if you go down the hallway uh, for all ages. But next week after Thanksgiving, 
Uh, we will have no regular Bible study hour or Sunday school next Sunday. But gather and continue our study in God's Word. And politics is driving me crazy is, is the topic at hand here in the sanctuary. May God go with you today and grant you his peace.